You know when you lie on your resume, but you get the job anyway, and then you're fighting dragons? Yeah, it's kind of like that. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for the underqualified. I wish to impress upon any of you wishing to compete that this tournament is not to be entered into lightly. Once a champion has been selected by the Goblet of Fire, he or she is obliged to see the tournament through to the end. There can be no change of heart once you have become a champion. Please be very sure, therefore, that you are wholeheartedly prepared to play before you drop your name into the goblet. I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. I guess Harry doesn't really lie on his resume, but we'll get to that. The Fred and George do. Somebody lies on Harry's resume for him. Yeah. Which is a weird plot twist. <laughs> We're reading Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, in case you couldn't tell. Our chapters this week are Beaubaton and Durmstrang and the Goblet of Fire. Isn't it fun when the name of the book is in the book itself? Sorry about our unscheduled absence last week. We just like, we needed a minute. And this is a public service announcement that all of y'all should take a minute when you need it too. We are trying to be good models of mental health and hygiene. Don't be like Harry. Or Hermione. Or Hermione. More to the point, Hermione. Yeah. Give yourselves a break. We gave ourselves one. Um, and now we're back and better than ever. Probably not better than ever, but the same anyway. So this week you will hear, as usual, some spoilers. You will hear cursing and also swear words um, because literal cursing. And you will hear some adult themes. This week's adult themes are foreign exchange students, anti-anti-aging serums, frenemies, furtive glances, and of course, as usual, a perpetual sense of impending doom because this is Goblet of Fire and we are Goblet of Firing toward the eventuality of mortality. Cedric's Take this cup away from me. Yeah, take this cup away from me. (laughs) Word. Alex, what happened this week? In this week's chapters, Mad-Eye Moody puts his students through the paces. He has his classes practice resisting the Imperious Curse, which, I mean, Moody racks up like 30 life sentences in Azkaban in the span of like a 50-minute class block. But uh, we learn that Harry has awesome willpower because he's the only student who's able to resist the Imperious Curse. Take notes. Moody is very impressed foreshadowing the delegations from Bobatons and am I saying that right you are not how do how is it pronounced again just Bobaton Bobaton you don't have to say uh-uh, uh. but you don't pronounce the s Bobaton the delegations from Bobaton no and uh-uh let's try it again it's the, just Bobaton the delegations from Bobaton yes and Durmstrang I don't know that's pos- probably Technically, that's like Dormstrong. Dormstrong and Dormstrong arrive. Bobaton via gigantic flying carriage pulled by the Budweiser horses. I guess that's not really accurate because they only drink single malt whiskey. Yes, so, they would. They would have nothing to do with Budweiser. A chaser. Yeah, there you go. I don't know. Uh, I I don't know if the horses are chasing it with anything. For a th- second, I thought you meant like in Quidditch. And then I understood that you were making a liquor. Oh no! Joke. Yeah, that's a that's a drink pairing. Got it. Um, <laughs> really giant flying horses. 
that would be a good Super Bowl commercial. I would watch that. Yeah. I would uh, watch that and no game. And Dernstrang arrives via underwater boat, which is not a submarine. It's just a boat that goes underwater. It's like a shipwreck, right? It's like a ghost ship. It's like some Pirates of the Caribbean shit. Yeah. It's like a... No, seriously, I think so. I think it's like a... I think they've, like, animated a shipwreck to carry them there. Oh, man. Which is metal. That's pretty metal. Yeah. Okay, anyway, go on. So, we meet the headmistress of Bobaton. It's Madame Maxine. She's super giant and decked out in opals. The headmaster of Durmstrong is not Captain Jack Sparrow. It's Igor (laughs) Parkerov. Um, Weirdly, Captain Jack Sparrow is Grindelwald. Yeah. Because all universes are a circle. (laughs) Which I hated, actually. Yeah, well. Maybe that... Different episode. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to do... We haven't actually done Fantastic Beasts yet. Nor shall we ever. We might. Speak not its name. Speak not not the name. (laughs) Go on. So the headmaster of Durmstrang is Igor Karkaroff. He's got a fruity, unctuous voice and really bad teeth because the Wizarding World can regrow bones, but they don't have, like, dental. They need Hermione's parents. They don't have dentists. Tom the innkeeper is, like, missing teeth. Hermione manages to straighten hers, but I don't remember if she does that through magic or actual dental work. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Unexplained questions. Maybe it's just an aesthetic. That's... Sorry, I bit off more than I could chew there. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, everybody's in town for the Triwizard Tournament, which is this crazy, dangerous wizard championship that is supposed to make everyone friends, but puts three children in mortal peril. So let me lay out the rules of the Triwizard Tournament, which... I don't know. They make more sense than Quidditch. Marginally more sense than Quidditch. Basically, each school gets a champion who will face three different challenges that will be judged. And to pick these champions, there is an impartial judge. And it is a wooden cup. In this case, the Goblet of Fire. But because the tournament's so dangerous... Dumbledore's like, we wouldn't want kids to be doing anything crazy at Hogwarts. (laughs) Only 17-year-olds will be allowed to participate in the Hunger Gate, the the Triwizard Tournament. So he draws an age line around the Goblet of Fire, which, I mean, it's it's pretty cool looking. It's like a fiery cup. Uh, Fred and George try to get past the age line because they're about to be 17, but they're not quite. They take a couple drops of aging potion. It's not clear to me whether that ages them permanently and that they sacrificed several months of their life to enter this tournament. I guess it doesn't really matter in Fred's case because, uh, sorry, well, you know, but, uh, so they take a few drops of aging potion, but Dumbledore's magic works super heckin' well and they get ejected from the cup and they grow crazy silver beards, and everybody just thinks that's hilarious, Fred and George included. So the twins have a great sense of humor. Yeah, they're very good-natured about their own foibles. (laughs) They can dish it out and take it. I appreciate that. Yes. The big day of the reaping or whatever rolls around, and uh, it's Halloween. Uh, 
it's very dramatic. The Goblet of Fire gets, like, extra fiery. Um, the champions are selected. The Goblet spits out the names of... Da da da, motherfucking Victor Crumb for Durmstrang. Remember Victor? He's the crazy LeBron James of Quidditch, uh, who Ron is super man crushing on this whole time. Fleur Delacour of Beaubaton, who has not been super impressed with the accommodations at Hogwarts, but she was she did like the Bouillabaisse, and and she's real pretty. And she's super pretty. Maybe Avila. Uh, Ron is also crushing on her, so, so far, two for three, Ron is really liking the school <laughs> champions. And, da-da-da, motherfucking Cedric Diggory, Hufflepuff pride, everybody goes crazy at the Hufflepuff table, finally the Badgers getting some recognition. So, that does it for the Triwizard Champions, except then, oh, shit, what is happening the cup ejects another toasty parchment with the name of Harry Potter on it. That wasn't supposed to happen. And scene. That's where we are this week. Yeah, it's like a baller cliffhanger. I know. Like a really fucking good one. Goblets be dripping. Ugh. Dripping. I don't know. Drip I... is a gross verb. I was trying to do like tripping, but... Oh, I get it. Okay. Goblets I, be dripping. It's really, it's it's really means a joke is good when you have to explain it in excruciating <laughs> All detail. Right. That is not going to be the episode title. <laughs> Goblets be dripping. Gob- no, indeed, tis Witches not. be dripping. That doesn't make sense. That's disgusting. That's more last chapter when it rained on everyone's heads. That wasn't last chapter. Okay. <laughs> Let's proceed. Let's proceed. So whenever we get these early back to school chapters, we just have to return to. An old beloved theme of the Quibblers, which is literally what the ever-living fuck is going on at this school. Does it count as a school? Yes or no? Answer, no. So, Snape might fucking poison them. It's like one of the first things we learn. Oh yeah, he's gonna... They're like working, they have all this crazy homework because apparently they have tests in a year. So like... Wizards are really into standardized testing, no surprise there. Yeah. Just given how bureaucratic the entire society is. So they have their ordinary wizarding levels in a year, which means they have to start studying now, I guess, which is very proactive of them. So they have like fuck tons of homework, but they're trying especially hard in Snape's class because he has strongly hinted that if they do not learn enough about antidotes, he is going to poison them and see if they have crafted effective antidotes. Which, like, I'm just... That's not allowed. You shouldn't poison people for pedagogy. Yeah, it makes sense. I don't find that a super... a decent rule. I don't find that a super effective teaching strategy, but what do I know? It's like throwing them into the deep end of the pool, man. Which no. is also not that's a good not, strategy. That's not an effective strategy. Children drown all the time. Keep your eyes on your during kids s- around pools. During swim lessons, though? I don't know. Probably. Kids can drown in anything. That's what I've learned from commercials on television in the summer in Arizona. That's true. They are very fear mongering. Uh, there's no defense. Hagrid Scroots keep on. Scrooting? Hagrid, yeah. They're inscrutable. They still don't know what they eat, but... But they're growing somehow. they're growing, so that's not ominous. 
yeah, Hagrid continues not to have any plan for why they are learning about Scroots, what they might do with the Scroots. Um, and they're also like, Hagrid keeps like mysteriously disappearing throughout these chapters because the Scroots are like killing each other and or trying to kill him. Like they're really more trouble than they're worth. <laughs> but the big one. Oh yeah, the big one is Mad-Eye Moody tests the Imperious Curse on all of the students, which he claims Dumbledore has signed off on, but I'm a little skeptical. Oh, I'm totally skeptical. I bet if Hermione, like, had the wherewithal to march over to, like, Professor McGonagall and was like, I don't know that this is 100% sanctioned, McGonagall would be like, we need to talk. Because if you're not allowed to turn someone into a ferret, you are 100% not allowed to perform the unforgivable curses on 14-year-olds. Yeah, well, I mean, and again, like we mentioned last time, this just shows the, it's the giveaway, right? Like, Barty Crouch as Moody has whatever malevolence inside of him that's required to perform this unforgivable curse over and over and over again. On children. Yeah. Potter, Moody growled, you next. Harry moved forward into the middle of the classroom, into the space that Moody had cleared of desks. Moody raised his wand, pointed it at Harry, and said, Imperio! It was the most wonderful feeling. Harry felt a floating sensation as every thought and worry in his head was wiped gently away, leaving nothing but a vague, untraceable happiness. He stood there feeling immensely relaxed, only dimly aware of everyone watching him. And then he heard Mad-Eye Moody's voice, echoing in some distant chamber of his empty brain. Jump onto the desk! Jump onto the desk! Harry bent his knees obediently, preparing to spring. Jump onto the desk! Why, though? Another voice had awoken in the back of his brain. Stupid thing to do, really, said the voice. Jump onto the desk! No, I don't think I will, thanks, said the other voice a little more firmly. No, I don't really want to. It's also like a really valuable Harry character development moment because I think like even now, four books in, when he's like done all kinds of like feats of daring do, there's still kind of this perception that Harry is primarily famous for something that he like had no like active part in. And you kind of forget that he himself has this, like, crazy well of, like, uncut heroism. What's his willpower is kind of Harry Potter's defining heroic trait, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like, it's a, a really basic strength of character and conviction. Yeah. And I really like the inner monologue that she has going on for him when he's trying to resist the Imperious Curse. It's really intelligent rather than sort of like muscled. Mm -hmm. Because rather than being like, no, no, I shall not, I shall not. His What his brain is saying is he's like, this is stupid. I also like that it's sort of dreamy. It is. It's kind of in this haze. Well, know? it's interesting that this, of all the unforgivable curses, it's interesting. And this kind of is like what we talked about last week with why the Imperious Curse is interesting as an unforgivable curse. But it's pleasant. Yes. Like, which is terrifying. That's so insidious, is that it's really nice to be imperious. Because then you just don't have to make any decisions. Yeah, and he has this, like, really chilling description of his mind sort of just emptying out. And it just, like, feeling good to, like, obey mindlessly. 
That's a really good point. Like, it doesn't hurt. No. It feels awesome, which is so much more powerful than it hurting. Right, because then the victim would just resist immediately. But it's still terrible because it's life theft, basically. It is. It is. And it's like, but then there's like this these really interesting moral questions of like, are you, well, I guess in the wizarding world, they've decided the answer, but like, you're not doing something to people that they like know is unpleasant, I guess until they come out of it and they've like murdered people. So that part's yeah. pretty bad. But can you imagine, like imagine emerging from the Imperius curse to like find that you've done something like unforgivable. Like that would make you crazy. Right. That would make you crazy the way Cruciatus makes you crazy. Oh yeah. It's really scary. Yo, it's the a- it's the after effects that are so horrible. Just chilling. And just the ethics of that we really d- dug into last yeah. episode. It's also more Barty like toughening him up for the final Voldemort battle. I was thinking Crouch has this like crazy access to like stress testing him. Mm-hmm. Like he gets to spend the entire year finding out all of his weaknesses and like funneling that straight back to Voldemort. Well, he's also building, well, like we discussed, we also think he's building up his strength so that he's, like, a worthy foe. Right, but, I mean, he's, like, he's he's testing his armor. Like, he's, mm-hmm. like, does this work on you? No? Interesting. Okay, so now, like, mental note, Voldemort won't be able to Imperius you in this, like, fucking showdown. It's, like, crazy oppo research. He went to a meeting with so many Russians. <laughs> Just every Russian is in his meeting. Um, topical... That's very topical. So, yeah, fuck that. It's actually so upsetting when you think about it in that context because mm-hmm. Harry's been burned for being trusting so many times and he's like, he's not wary enough of Moody. Even if Moody was Moody, I kind of want to shout at Harry. Like, if this guy is performing the Imperious Curse on you, like, you know enough red, about this shit. Red flag, yeah, red bro. flag, bro. Red, red flag. Yes, you should, like, check in on whether that's okay. To be fair, Dumbledore might be like, hell yeah. That's a deal breaker. Yeah, as Liz Lemon would tell us. Everyone is Twitter-pated in these chapters. You taught me that word. I don't think very many people know it's what that word. It's from Bambi. It was like made up in Bambi or I think learned it, it in Bambi? I learned it from, I think it's from Bambi. I, I don't know if it like originates in Bambi, but you know, that when all the- I think it's a real word. All the animals are discovering their- Budding sexuality and... Uh, That's a weird part of Bambi, by the yeah. way. <laughs> Falling in love with, like, other skunks and deer and stuff. So, um, that's what's happening here, wizard uh, Twitter patient. So Twitter pated means just, like, crushing. Just crushing. Harry's noticing Cho a lot more at the Ravenclaw table. Ron is smitten with Fleur and... Hagrid is gussing himself up with, like, I guess, wizard axe body spray. And, like, Um, tubs of, like, hair grease. (laughs) I love the description of him. He, like, tried to make a ponytail, but he literally had too much hair. So he ends up making these two, like, bunches. Like, Hagrid basically has, like, pigtails. (laughs) 
They're more like oxtails for Hagrid, maybe. Like, just very ah, large. Ah, very I don't good. Know. Very good. Um, yeah, I, I... Wait, oxtails are skinny, too. Not Oh, they very, are? Yeah. Okay. Some um, kind of lar- like dragon tails. large... They're like dragon tails. He's got dragon tails. Dragon tails, dragon tails. Hagrid's got some dragon tails. Okay, sorry. Go on. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about this, except Well, you didn't more... say who he's into, did you? Oh, he's into Madame Maxine, is what the kids... Who, to be, to be fair, is serving. She shows the fuck up in, like, head-to-toe black silk, opals at her throat with this, like, thick, throaty, like, accent, and she's a giantess. Well, we learned that later, but whatever. She's fucking huge. She has these, like, big, beautiful steeds. It's like pushing all of Hagrid's buttons. She's a tall drink of water, but he's a thirsty man. <laughs> I hate that expression, but yeah, that's basically what's happening. Hagrid's being real thirsty right now. I like how she calls him Aglid. So yeah, the, this Aglid. So the the trio go down to visit Hagrid at his hut to try to squeeze more information out of him about the Triwizard Tournament because Hagrid's back in accidentally revealing critical plot information mode, <laughs> and they're sort of offended that. He ghosts on them for Madame Maxine. I think it's actually like... Which is sort of sad. Come on. No, 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 no. It's fine. They're fine. No, no, no. I meant sad that they're pissed at him. They're not really pissed at him. They're just sort of like, you know, they're like a little bit outraged in a cute way. It's like when dad's got a new girlfriend or whatever. No, then you like parent. You want to like fucking parent trap her. Okay, it's when your babysitter gets... A boyfriend? A boyfriend? I guess. I don't know. This is a bad metaphor. It might be. This might be a clunker. <laughs> I think it's like, I actually think it's really generous of J.K. Rowling to give Hagrid a, a love interest who turns into like a partner. Spoiler alert. Like they end up together, right? Like for a while at least. They have a relationship. They have like, they have a thing. And that's just like, Hagrid is one of those characters that I think in less generous authorial hands would be sort of like, I mean, I guess everybody's like sexless in these books because there's not sex, but would be sort of like an aromantic, just like un, like he would be, yeah, like an asexualized character because he's like big and weird and like awkward and he just doesn't seem like somebody that like authors tend to give viable like love interests too yeah, yeah. and she's given him like this fucking like glamour queen he gets to fall in love with this incredibly sophisticated beautiful mature kind of queenly woman who still is real fucking into monsters <laughs> i mean you know there's gonna be sparks when when she, she s- tells dumbledore that the horses only drink whiskey and, and Dumbledore they require gets that, a firm hand he gets Dumbledore gets that sparkle in his mm-hmm. eyes though he's Dumbledore's a true romantic like, matchmaker yeah he's like honey Hagrid can handle it <laughs> and it's like real sassy so it's just nice for Hagrid to have something to do other than just kind of bumble around raising scroots it's like a sweet way to like three-dimensionalize his character so Ron's got a big boner for Fleur Delacour Ron was still goggling at the girl as though he had never seen one before. Harry started to laugh. The sound seemed to jog Ron back to his senses. She's a feeler, 
he said hoarsely to Harry. Of course she isn't, said Hermione tartly. I don't see anyone else gaping at her like an idiot. But she wasn't entirely right about that. As the girl crossed the hall, many boys' heads turned, and some of them seemed to have become temporarily speechless, just like Ron. I'm telling you, that's not a normal girl, said Ron, leaning sideways so he could keep a clear view of her. They don't make them like that at Hogwarts. They make them okay at Hogwarts, said Harry without thinking. Cho happened to be sitting only a few places away from the girl with the silvery hair. When you've both put your eyes back in, said Hermione briskly, you'll be able to see who's just arrived. And I... Who's like, it's, first it's of all, very wrong. she's so bitchy. She's like not impressed by anything. She thinks ho that Hogwarts is like kind of like dingy. <laughs> I do like that it awakens Hermione's latent school spirit. Because I actually think it's more of like a like I don't know like a single white female thing. Like I think she's just like thinks that Fleur's a bitch. Mm, well, but, that's that's that has that comes with its own problems. Oh yeah, that's like much more problematic. Anyway, so yeah, Ron's like, hey, to this girl who he thinks might be part Vila, and she is. She's a quarter Vila. Uh, it turns out her a grandmother was a Vila, which raises. Its some questions about wizard biology in general because aren't they magical creatures yeah villas aren't like humans. they're not considered humans they're used as mascots for the bulgarian national yeah team. like are those like captives i i, I don't know Th oh, this, this is kind of weirding me out yeah but uh so yeah fleur is not all the way human well but also you gotta wonder like she's humanoid She's humanoid. Well, but, okay, Vila human relationship. I don't know how that works. Is that consensual? Yeah. Because they, like, <laughs> Vila's essentially put, like, literal spells on people to, like, enchant them. So if, like, as a man, if you have sex with a Vila under that enchantment, like, I don't think that's consensual. There's so much fucked up stuff in the fact that she's a quarter Vila. Like, that's... <laughs> I wish that that was just, like... I wish we could just, like, excise that from this altogether because it's just... I wish she was just hot because it's so gross. Well, maybe that's why she's she's got kind of a an attitude. It's her, like, inner... Harpy. Harpy. Yeah. But, like, that's so sexist. Well, we'll get to Fleur later, but uh, she's a... I mean, she gets chosen champion. Mm -hmm. Like, she's a baller. Yeah. I like that she's chosen champion. Although she's the weakest one by a long shot. Yeah. So that's not mm -hmm. awesome. Well, we'll get into it more, but the the way that the Triwizard scenes are written, she's the only female champion, and she just, like, really struggles. And, like, can't you fucking just throw her a win? Well, Harry has to win, because it's his hero's journey. Yeah, but, like, Crumb and Diggory also do better than she does. I don't know. Flora is like, a really complicated character... I like Fleur. I do too. And Fleur ends up being wonderful, but... I like that she freaks Ron out. Oh, Ron deserves to feel freaked out by girls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I do too. But I mean, you also, like, the other thing that it allows is, like, you get good Ron-Hermione sparks with the introduction of both Fleur and Crumb. I mean, mm -hmm. we'll get to the Crumb part later, but, like, those two manage to, like, really, like, 
mess with Ron and Hermione's heads and you get a lot of the beginnings of their like their bullshit. Well, at this point in the book, Ron is more into Crumb than Hermione is. Hermione is kind of put off by the fact that all the ladies are trying to get Crumb's autograph. So she has not reached Twitter patient stage yet. She never gets Twitter-pated, which I think is what he likes about her. Mm. She's just, like, real fucking calm, cool, and collected. I'm loving Hermione's, like, spew stuff in this book, but she's not being super nice to people. Whatever, I get. She gets no respect or credit ever, and maybe finally she's starting to chafe at that a little bit. <laughs> well, that's what I like about Fleur. Oh, yeah, I like she's the Fleur's like, bitch. She's just like, I'm baller, and I know it. yeah. And she's just like, I just want to eat bouillabaisse in my beautiful <laughs> silk dress and like sit on my gigantic carriage and have people take care of me. Yeah. So speaking of bouillabaisse, this brings up something we have to talk about. So Ron is sort of put off by the bouillabaisse. He's never seen it before. Yeah. He doesn't know what it is. Hermione kinda... says the word bouillabaisse and he says, bless you, <laughs> which is a funny, it's a good bit. You know, it's like a good bit, but... Uh, so it's been pointed out to us on Twitter that maybe we've been a little hard on Ron, who grew up in pretty deep poverty. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's like deep grinding poverty, but they live not paycheck to paycheck, but whatever wizards get. They live like galleon to galleon. Gall- yeah, they live galleon to galleon, and um, that takes its uh, toll. So we see a little bit of that in this. Bouillabaisse with moments. this like class signifier it's mm-hmm. weird i can't believe that this is a name i'm going to invoke in this sacred space but it reminds me of that david brooks column where he takes his friend to the italian his high school his, his like, friend poor friend yeah his poor friend to the italian sandwich place and she doesn't know what any of the food is but i mean okay that was a cringy column moment but but it he had a i mean he I, had the kernel of a really good point which is that we have all these like secret sort of like handshakes of like class significance that if you don't know the vocabulary like it becomes obvious like what kind of like what class you come from and no this bouillabaisse moment is a really good opportunity to talk about the fact that Ron's upbringing as a poor person of course like colors his worldview and makes it hard to blame him for some of his like more challenging behavior because I also think I mean another part of that is like being like hyper progressive is kind of a privilege. Mm-hmm. Like, and honestly, the which Weasleys, is, yeah, which is Hermione, is like her whole spew thing. Yeah, is very like it's it's it definitely like I admire it greatly. But yeah, it's kind of born out of her privilege to be able to like think about these things like at a distance because. She's never been made to feel like lesser in the wizarding world because she can't afford. Right. Yeah, it's it's interesting because obviously in a lot of important ways, Hermione is lower status as a woman, as a muggle born, but her parents are dentists, which make them rather affluent. And if we're going on our theory of wizard currency exchanges, extremely wealthy in the wizarding world because they have plenty of money to change into undervalued sickles and galleons but i mean either way they'd have even if the even if the currency stuff wasn't all fucked up and she's like plenty of money like that is solidly upper middle class and she's like well traveled Mm -hmm. like she's much more worldly she like speaks another language yes well she had had bouillabaisse in france on vacation traveled with her family ron's like yo i've been on one vacation in my life literally because we won the lottery (laughs) 
<laughs> right. And then another one last week and we had to take a mangy old boot there. Yeah. It's actually extraordinary like how progressive the Weasleys are. Mm-hmm. Because they are like working class wizards. And so like if wizarding politics are anything like muggle politics, which I think we've kind of like talked about the ways in which they might be, they're very predisposed to be anti-muggle. So the fact that they are like as like derisive of the pure blood thing as they are is a testament to their like really true goodness and egalitarian spirit. Yeah. They're good, good people. So I appreciated being like kind of called out. Obviously, I don't think about the that aspect of Ron's character that much because I was never poor. All right. So sorry, Ron. We've been a little We've we'll, been hard on you. We'll come at him again soon. <laughs> so we'll just take a brief respite in t- calling Ron an idiot to say intersectionality is real and people are coming from complicated and constellation diverse backgrounds. But Ron, we appreciate you. We do. No, we love Ron. That's why we call him an idiot. There's a lot about Ron's money stuff in this book. We've already, we didn't really dig into it, but... His like hand me down dress robes. Yeah, we'll get into that and he, more. He like obviously. exclaims, "Why does everything I own rubbish?" And it like finally starts to really tear on his relationship with Harry in this book. No, I know, which is going to offer us like a really interesting, a rich vein. It is a rich tell. vein. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a year of really complicating that relationship. So many feelings. Uh, well, you know, I mean, don't we all? So. Going back to our new foreign friends, um, I feel like half of this book is just like people making dramatic entrances. <laughs> Let's talk for just like five minutes about that amazing scene when Bobeton and Durmstrang show up. As the gigantic black shape skimmed over the treetops of the Forbidden Forest and the lights shining from the castle windows hit it, they saw a gigantic powder-blue horse-drawn carriage the size of a large house soaring toward them. Pulled through the air by a dozen winged horses, all palominos, and each the size of an elephant. The front three rows of students drew backward as the carriage hurtled ever lower, coming into land at a tremendous speed. Then, with an almighty crash that made Neville jump backward onto a Slytherin fifth year's foot, the horse's hooves, larger than dinner plates, hit the ground. A second later, the carriage landed too, bouncing upon its vast wheels, while the golden horses tossed their enormous heads and rolled large, fiery red eyes. Harry just had time to see that the door of the carriage bore a coat of arms, two crossed golden ones, each emitting three stars, before it opened. So it's just more maximalism, led by Madame Maximalism herself. (laughs) Um, Just like, I love that they're like, oh, do you think they'll come on broomsticks? And it's like, nope. Fuck no. Fucking Cinderella's carriage times (laughs) 1,000. Flying through the air, motherfuckers. And then Durmstrang shows up. Out in the very middle of the lake, a whirlpool appeared, as if a giant plug had just been pulled out of the lake's floor. What seemed to be a long black pole began to rise slowly out of the heart of the whirlpool, and then Harry saw the rigging. It's a mast, he said to Ron and Hermione. Slowly, magnificently, the ship rose out of the water, gleaming in the moonlight. It had a strangely skeletal look about it, as though it were a resurrected wreck, 
and the dim, misty lights shimmering at its portholes looked like ghostly eyes. Finally, with a great sloshing noise, the ship emerged entirely, bobbing on the turbulent water, and began to glide toward the bank. A few moments later, they heard the splash of an anchor being thrown down in the shallows, and the thud of a plank being lowered onto the bank. First of all, they're in their scary Pirates of the Caribbean ghost ship, which is baller. I think that's a much cooler way to travel. The other thing can fly. I know, but it's just like, I really, I guess I just, I like the, like, horror movie aesthetic more than I like the fairy tale aesthetic. Fair enough. So the fact, this like, and they just, they see it like, the mass like emerging from like the once placid surface of the lake and how the fuck did it get in the lake the lake yo is that like- is an excellent i was actually i was thinking the same thing myself i thought like okay so clearly there's like a river system or maybe it's like something like a port key but like for water like maybe you get in the ship in a body of water and then you can somehow like magic yourself into some other body of water in the ship <sighs> that seems way that seems way more complicated than necessary well, like, but they, the thing is it's all of this is more complicated than necessary because they're showing off right that's the whole thing mm-hmm. so i mean it seems like they would like go to great lengths to make this like cool as fuck and like they've succeeded it yeah, is I mean, I'm, awesome and then I'm they're impressed. like all in their furs and they're all in like big matted brown furs and then like Karkarov, who like is a little bit in the tradition of like a fet Disney villains. Mm-hmm. He's got um, the, the fruity, unctuous voice. Yeah, the word fruity is a little bit of as... um, a, a tip off of the his sort of like yeah, like the queered villain. Um, and he's in this like ermine fur. Dumbledore has this like long and like kind of crazy beard, and Karkarov has like a very carefully trimmed little like goatee so yeah i think there's some like jafar yeah a little bit Mm -hmm. this very eastern yeah this like kind of like foreign like Mm -hmm. bad guy but like with this like kind of like weird vibe yeah this like vaguely balkan name or whatever uh, Victor Kar- no, not victor igor Igor karkarov well and he also has the like kind of strange like father son slash like homoerotic like Victor Crumb relationship. Yeah. Where you have to ask like honestly like why did they bring anyone besides Crumb? Like the the minute you say go like Victor gets off the fucking ship and you're like okay obviously he's the champion. He's the champion of the world. Mm-hmm. Like what they're gonna make this kid with food all over his furs the <laughs> Durmstrang champion? Fuck no. So he basically brought all these other boys to like humiliate them in front of Crumb. Yeah. Who because, he's clearly, like, kind of in love with. Because Durmstrang is super Slytherin. Ooh, yeah, it is. So. More Harry yeah. Potter maximalism. It's like, you thought Slytherin was bad? What if it was a whole school and it was cold? <laughs> and what if Snape? And everyone's name was Igor. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, Double Snape. Seriously, meetings with Russians, man. Mm-hmm. They out here. So, yeah, basically, they're just, like, making a big entrance. The Beaubaton are, like, Fleur is this way, but they're all pretty bratty. And none of them brought jackets, which is just, like, a funny detail. <laughs> They're just all, like, real fucking cold. Is it, like, super warm in France? Not really. Or where we don't actually know where Beaubaton is from. We're meant to think France. Yeah, maybe or they're on, like, the Rivi- maybe they're on, like, the French Riviera. Yeah, maybe they're, you know? like, Mediterranean. Nice. That's true. How nice I mean, I guess they be? could be, like, 
Belgian or like Alsace-Lorraine German. Corsica? Sure. I don't know. I think they're French. Yeah. They they're, have they're that very like... Coded French. Well, and they're very coded like that fantasy like French girl aesthetic. They're all sort of just like effortlessly slim and willowy. Interestingly, in the movie, it's an all-girls school, but there are boys yeah. from Beaubaton. Yeah. I don't know why they made it an all-girls school. That seems like a really... Visual... visual. Yeah, I with guess. With the men in the coats and then and the like, girls, the girls and doing like, like kind the, of the dad, Madeline the... dresses. Mm-hmm. They're like ballet shit. Yeah. Durmstrang is all boys in the movie, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It's just visual. Okay. But in, in the books, that so that's not canon, guys. In the books, they're both co-ed schools. Right. So should we just talk briefly about this fucking cup? <laughs> I guess it's like the whole deal with the whole book. It's, it's, the, it's the name Goblet of, the of Fire. Yeah, I... I've always been super disappointed by the Goblet of Fire because I wanted it to like, I don't know, it's the name of the fucking book. Like, it doesn't do, do a lot. Like do more. It's in one chapter. They pull it out of an old trunk. It's made of wood. Well, here's the crazy thing. The trunk, it's not an old trunk. They pull it out of like a jewel encrusted cask. The thing that holds it is significantly fancier than the cup itself. Yeah. You expect it to be like the fucking Holy Grail and it's right. a wooden... No, well, like, the Holy Grail is a wooden cup in Indiana Jones, remember? Oh, so this is obviously the Holy Grail. Or something like that because uh, there's That's... all the fancy cups and then Indy picks the wooden cup. Oh, you're so, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, it's so got maybe that, it's supposed it's to be the Holy Grail. Going on. I, just didn't, I don't care what the cup looks like. It's cool that it's like this like kind of beat up rustic cup, but... I don't know. I feel like I'm left wanting to know more about this goblet that is important enough to name the book after. How does it work? Why is it an impartial judge? How has it been used before? Well, clearly, also, it's like... It sucks at its job. Really easily fooled. It's incredibly easily fooled. Uh, never trust a cup to do a hat's job. (laughs) They should have just had the fucking sorting hat. Who clearly can't be tricked. This, but I guess that would make it not impartial because it's all yeah, like it belongs it's to Hogwarts. Pro Hogwarts. But I mean, okay, this is like the cup has a bug. This is like a pretty simple programming problem. Only allow the cup to pick three people, like write four out of the parameters. You know, that's like basic. Yeah, they need to patch this cup. They need Goblet 2.0 because this is like an incredibly simple security vulnerability where you can just add another variable. Well, relatedly, apparently the cup can look at somebody's name and like delve deep into like the kind of like objective reality of whether they're worthy of being a champion, but it can't tell how old they are. Like Dumbledore has to do extra magic so that it doesn't pick someone underage. Like, this cup seems virtually useless. It can do one thing, and it doesn't do it great. Yeah. Main problem with the Triwizard Tournament, besides the fact that it's, like, death games, uh, get a better judge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, a better selector. Selector. Because they don't... Your cup is broken. Oh, we didn't even talk about the fact that Ludo and Barty are there. Oh, yeah. Well, they... Ludo and Barty are there. They're gonna judge. Yeah. Um... Barty hates everything. Ludo is an idiot. Um, so they're basically just, you know, Overall, the kind of professionalism and flawless operation you expect out of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, I was always I was always underwhelmed. The chapter's named The Goblet of Fire. The book is named The Goblet of Fire. He You're makes, just like, like, one appearance yeah. and he does his job poorly. And then the goblet just fucking... 
is gone. It looks cool. It's I got guess, flames. It's filled with flames. Yeah, it seems like the obvious title is Harry Potter and the Triwizard Tournament. Yeah, but that doesn't sound like... Well, only because we're not used to it. The original title was Harry Potter and the Quidditch World Cup, I believe. Oh, that's lame. Which... That sucks. You know? That's even dumber than Goblet of Fire. That may have been like a, a working... I don't know. Goblet of Fire sounds so dramatic, but... But then it actually, like... The, the cup itself is sort of dud. Yeah. Who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero is Hedwig. Harry heads up to the Owlry, which we get to see the Owlry. Owlry? That's really hard to say. The Owlry. Yeah. Which is covered with like vole skeletons and... Uh, yeah, it's pretty like, cool. Owl, it's kind of gross, but also awesome because there's just owls everywhere. But he's like, here's a letter for Sirius Black who is hiding somewhere on the planet Earth. Go find him. And Hedwig's like... I'm on it, boss. And he does, successfully. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. And then he That's drinks, a right smart owl. He drinks orange juice. That part is really nice. It's cute. He puts his little beak in the orange juice. <laughs> R.I.P. Hedwig. I know. Ugh. Oof, that's a rough one. Pour out some orange juice for Hedwig. <sighs> it's true. Mine is Angelina Johnson, who is, I think, the only Gryffindor to actually enter. Well, he, she's only the only Gryffindor we see successfully enter the Triwizard Tournament. And honestly, like, I'm just trying to read a whole fanfic book where Angelina is the Hogwarts champion and she just wins and, like, gets everything she wants in life. Is this an alternate plot line in Cursed Child? Doesn't <laughs> no. every possible permutation of this book happen? In, uh, um, except in the one where Angelina Johnson just is wins just like the Triwizard. Yeah, Tournament like lives nothing, her best life, and nothing bad happens, um, and that's the end of the series. It's super cute when Hermione is like really rooting for Angelina and the twins. Oh yeah, I know the twins are good news. Yeah, yeah. speaking of the Weasleys, like just really, really, really like keeping it just really above board. Yeah, they are super good-natured about themselves not being able to enter. And then they're, like, very pro-Angelina entering. And they're really rooting for her, which is very cute. Yeah. They are not sexist. No. Which you can't say for a lot of dudes in fiction or reality. They're, so, like, actually stand-up guys. They're super stand-up guys. They're a mess, but <laughs> they're, like, their hearts are in the true... They're chaotic good. They are chaotic good. Their hearts are in the true right place. I'm going to just briefly apologize. I got a lot of blowback for calling Sirius an idiot. So I get that he doesn't actually think he can do anything. He just like wants to be near Harry and all his life he's wished he could protect Harry. And now he like at least is a little more free to do so. I still think that he's like could like chill a bit. But I think that's true of every character in the Harry Potter canon. They could all chill a little bit. So yeah. I'm sorry. I will have so much ire for Sirius down the road that I can like, I can hold back now. It's sweet that he wants to help Harry. I think that's it. This week's episode is brought to you by the Goblet of Fire. Do you need it to pick three things for you? It will get within one. <laughs> Guaranteed. I don't know. We can't really guarantee. If some, if Voldemort had put in like 10 extra ten names, names, it might have picked He's them like, all. like, mm, Neville Longbottom. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just for good measure. Just let's all the, get rid of that guy too. Yeah. The other possible chosen one. The audiobook clips that you heard are from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Doesn't Work Goblet of Fire. 
Um, that's not the title. Courtesy <laughs> of maybe, I don't know if that's like against like the legal guidelines. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. Please go on Apple Podcasts and um, rate and review us if you would. And um, subscribe as well so that this shows up to you automatically and you have to do zero work or do so wherever else you um, get your podcasts. We are on all the socials at Quibbler Podcast everywhere you might want to look except for Snapchat. You could look. We're not there. Sign up for our newsletter, which is at tinyletter.com slash quibblerpodcast for owl news and bonus quibbles. Yep. Hyper occasional, but it's good when it happens. Hey, we're not happens. we're not clogging up your inbox. We're super not. So it's um, uh it's not a hard ask. We won't be out there uh, uh true. adding to your one hundred unread emails. If you're the kind of person that uh lets the badge, the like little badge sit one there time with the million email like one <laughs> time a I thousand was thousand unread emails. No, one time I was sitting next to a woman on the subway who had that badge and she had 50,000 on red emails. And like, I almost had a panic attack. Like it made me so uncomfortable. I was like, I might have to move. I don't think I can look at this shit. Seize the phone so from upsetting. her and start deleting emails. So mostly just like, if you are going to have 50,000 on red emails, fine. Turn off your badge notifications. So like unwitting good citizens don't have to see <laughs> your bullshit. Public service announcement. If you have in the five digits of unread emails turn off your badges because clearly you don't give a shit what when it becomes fifty thousand and two, all of a sudden you're gonna be like i should probably clean <laughs> yeah. out my inbox time to that's the that's the one <laughs> nope. hate that okay um anyway next week we will be reading chapters that have no email in them because this is wizards the four champions and the weighing of the wands so we're gonna hang out with rita skeeter get ready see kind you soon tree mail since it's owls live in trees they don't live in trees oh yeah they live in the owlery yeah that doesn't work at all it was a uh, swing and a miss but a good swing i know but i loved hey. it thanks amigos oh de cologne hagrid and what's with the hair and the suit excuse me are you wanting the bullyabiz you have finished with it? Yeah, it was excellent. Well, what's the matter with them? Why are they acting that way? <laughs> Why, don't you know? They're Twitter-pated. Twitter-pated? Yes. Nearly everybody gets Twitter-pated in the springtime. For example, <clears throat> you're walking along, minding your own business. You're looking neither to the left nor to the right, when all of a sudden, you run smack into a pretty face. Whoa, whoa!